Hello, everybody, and welcome to another happy Wednesday on the Extraordinary Talk Show. We are here again. I think this is our third Wednesday. It might be our fourth thing. I think that's going really well because I've actually been here almost every time except for when I was sick. But welcome back. Today I have a very special guest that I, I am looking forward to introducing to all of you. If you're watching the live video, I apologize for the cameras. They're a little bit off, but go ahead and listen and enjoy it anyway. So let me start with what I always start with. Because I am not here to try to tell you what to think. I'm trying to get you to think for yourself. I request, I ask that you do not believe a word that I say. If something that I say strikes a chord of curiosity inside you, follow that. If something that I say strikes a chord of truth inside of you, believe that. But don't believe it just because I said it. I do think, however, that I have some ideas, and I know some people who have some ideas, that as we present these ideas to you, some of these ideas might be, for you, the thing that might change everything. And maybe if we can find some big enough ideas, we might find an idea that could change everything for everybody. And it might be making a bold claim, but I actually think that we have one of those ideas here to share with you today. So let me introduce to you my very, very good friend, Jesse Leffler. Hello. Is this enough? Am I close to the mic? That's perfect. Fabulous. Hello. Now, Jesse, for one thing, is a very smart man. And for another thing, has spent his lifetime working in electronics and in mechanics and making connections between all of the things with wires and with neurons. That's very true. And he and I have talked about effective use of energy in many ways. One thing I like to say is, I'm not lazy, I'm a convenience enthusiast. Just simply because I want to find the simplest, easiest, most obvious way to do something rather than work hard about it if I don't have to. Absolutely. So we were talking about solar energy and renewable energy, and you taught me some things that I didn't know. I had everything I had ever heard about solar energy was that we need more of it. And you argued and disagreed. So can we start there? Why would we, as we're driving down I-15 between St. George and Las Vegas, and we pass these fields, just fields and fields and fields of solar energy, of, of all these solar panels. Mm -hmm. And I look at those and I think, yay, all that energy that's helping us, right? That's what we're, that's what we're led to believe. That's what we're led to believe. Absolutely. So if that's, if that's not true, what is the truth? Well, there's, there's a lot to that. Um, we think renewables are this magic bullet that once we build them, we can just, oh, it just renews. Well, not entirely. There's a whole lot of other things that go into this. It is the power um, that these renewables, solar and wind especially, is it enough power density to run a civilized society? And the answer to that question is no, unfortunately. And then there's the next question, which is, are you getting out the energy that you're putting in? Are we actually carbon neutral or are we saving carbon? Are we, are we doing right by the environment by using solar and wind? Well, and obviously, that's right. Unfortunately, the answer isn't quite that simple. There's once these things, if we could have a magic wand in Harry Potter land, poof, we have solar panels. Eh, okay, that might work. But there's so much more that goes into solar panels to make those things work. And what we use uh, uh, as a term for that is called embodied energy. And that's the entire energy from start to finish 
of mining the raw materials, shipping those raw materials, refining those, building solar panels, shipping the solar panels, scraping clean acres, uh, acres of beautiful desert, which hurts me because I grew up in Las Vegas. I love the desert. I think it's beautiful. Now I go to these places I used to grow up at, and they're just fields of solar panels. And these dry lake beds, uh, in my opinion, are kind of ruined, to be honest. Now, if they were ruined to make energy that was acceptable, that, that saved the environment, okay, well, that's something we can talk about. But unfortunately, they're not. They don't have the energy density. And when I mean energy density, um, I mean that it doesn't have the kind of power to run an industrial civilization like ours. And we can see that in, in every time anybody talks about a solar panel, they say, well, it's going to power 10,000 houses. Okay, well, ask them next, how many, how many factories does it power? How many arc furnaces does it power? Zero. There's really, there's not the energy density for um, half a million volts of power consistently to run these giant arc furnaces that do everything from refine ore to recycle our, our stuff we put in the recycle bin. Um, we can't do that effectively. And if we do recycle and we have to use this energy, we got to get it from fossil fuels because there's no way you can have um, train cars of recyclable material coming down to this factory and this factory is like, ah, sun's not shining today, guys. Everybody go home. Right. It just doesn't work. Now, you said something a minute ago that I want to kind of jump back to. You talked about embodied energy. Mm -hmm. And this is essentially the cost of energy to create a solar panel and to get it on in the desert mm -hmm. shining at the sun from and start how to long finish it lasts too the entire 20 year life cycle of it so what it costs to create produce get there maintain mm -hmm. for 20 years maintain, yep. and then the energy that comes back from it so there's right. an energy cost to produce and actually get it there working that's mm -hmm. the that's one side of the embodied energy and the other side of the, the embodied energy is what we get out of it right. and that's essentially kind of where we get a car carbon plus or carbon negative right right so what you're saying is that by the time we put all that whatever into getting the solar panels shining at the sun mm -hmm. the cost of it doesn't pay for itself it does not offset unfortunately it does not offset um, when we and that's this is a problem you're misled by and that's also assuming that it lasts 20 years right it's full lifetime but if it gets hit by a rock Yep. Or it even gets dirty. You've got to pe have people on staff on these solar renewable projects that their entire job is going out and spraying solar panels. For 20 years, they've got to spray solar panels to keep the dust off them. Otherwise, they don't work very well. So the embodied energy is, a, is it when you go down the road, 20 years of it, is it plus or minus carbon? Is it plus or minus carbon in the atmosphere? Did we save carbon or did we add carbon? That's really what we've got to worry about right now. And we're being told that solar plant, solar panels in general are very, very, very carbon positive, and yeah. yet, at best, they're neutral? Mm. At, in Harry Potter world, at best, they're neutral. When I you see. can wave a wand and you can magically plant solar panel seeds and those sprout, mm, sure. <laughs> solar panel seeds. But in reality, no, it's not. Okay. It's not even close, unfortunately. And, and then, following what you were saying, it sounds like, in order to recycle, mm -hmm. it sounds like we're just we're having to then bring in oil in order to recycle because the solar, the, what I think I heard you saying, and let me walk through it and, and correct me if I missed anything, but the solar panels are not strong enough. They do not create enough energy to run a furnace at an arc. An arc furnace, at an, correct. At, thank you, an arc yep. furnace, which is what we need to actually melt down all the recyclables. Right. So in order to reuse our recyclables, our recyclable energy isn't even strong enough to do that. Right. 
It's exactly it. We don't have the power capacity to do that. Can we get more solar panels? You could get more solar panels. But you imagine we say, oh, well, if we just have solar panels, it's everywhere. Eh, it's gonna the sun will shine over there when it's not shining over here, and we'll just build you know transmission lines everywhere. Uh, that's like saying, well, your car has a one in six chance of starting when you go outside, so you should have four <laughs> four to six cars so you can get to work every day. That doesn't seem like it's, an effective it's not use realistic. of energy. It's not realistic. It's not realistic. And it's kind of it's kind of depressing, actually. It is depressing. And I think that. For a long time, I didn't want to think too much about the environment because I didn't know what to do about it. And And thinking about it made me depressed. So I just didn't want to think about it. Absolutely. And on The Extraordinary Talk Show, we're not about being depressed. We're about finding ways to come up out of that and find solutions to problems. So as you and I have talked, instead of of feeling this hopelessness, you have actually instilled some great hope in me with the idea that I had never really heard any real explanation of. Of thorium energy. Absolutely. Thorium uh, nuclear power. Thorium nuclear power. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait. You said nuclear. That scares me. It scares everybody. They just don't understand what it is. And unfortunately, there's a push from somewhere that this is not what we what we want. And when we think, who's pushing this? Why would someone push a great source of energy? Right. That's a good question. And and we see that when ExxonMobil, of all people, is advertising for solar and for wind farms. That they know doesn't really work. Yeah. Do you think ExxonMobil cares? No, they're 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 advertising for something that they know needs needs oil and needs gas to be installed. They're they're not there for making the world a better place. Their advertisements say it, and if you're gullible enough to believe that, it's kind of your own fault. But the fact is, it's not an acceptable way to do this. Solar panels just don't have the energy density. Okay, so but thorium does. Thorium does now. For those of us, like almost all of us, who have never heard of thorium or thorium nuclear energy, can you give us the brief but quick primer on what the heck this is? Yeah, I will do my best to make it brief. There's a lot to it, and I've gone down many rabbit holes, but it's very fun. So thorium is a nuclear element that is abundant in the Earth's crust. It's uh, two places away from uranium on the periodic table. So it's a heavy element, and it does split. It is a nuclear, a radioactive element. Um so we can use thorium in nuclear processes, in nuclear generators, uh, far more efficiently than we use uranium right now. Unfortunately, our nuclear technology is, it's old. It's 70s technology. The, the problem, why it's 70s technology is because we've had all these environmentalists say, oh, nuclear is bad. Look at, you know, Chernobyl. Look at Three Mile. So nobody's bothered to do more research? Uh, the, the research is there. People have been ignoring it. And there's other people that are telling you to look in different directions. And I don't know why, but probably the money. Let's so we have research showing how great thorium energy is as opposed to other nuclear energies. Absolutely. And yet we're still not using the thorium. Correct. Okay, well, tell us why we should use the thorium. Let's do that. Thorium is very abundant in the Earth's crust. And when you use it in a specific type of way in a nuclear power plant, uh, it can create energy safely, effectively, and it has a whole slew of positive side effects. Um, it's, it's pretty incredible how many things that thorium can, can achieve safely and it can do it without the, the chance of meltdown, without any of the, the issues that have been coming up across any of these other nuclear systems. What we use right now is solid fuel nuclear reactors. What we need to use, what we should use, what the future is going to be in the thorium age is going to be liquid fuel 
thorium reactors, LFTR, lifter technology. And is it easier to make the liquid to burn as opposed to the solid to burn for energy? It is. It's not only easier, you can renew it. You can keep using the liquid. You can just keep adding to it. Right now, nuclear reactors, uranium nuclear reactors, solid fuel nuclear reactors have to shut down every 18 months. you got to let the entire thing cool down for like a month. Then you take all the, the reactor um, fuel and you move it from the center out a little bit. And you put new stuff in the center because they're solid fuel and it's a terrible idea. Then you fire it back up and it works for a while. And, it, and here, oof, here's the kicker. When you have a uranium-powered nuclear plant, it uses about 0.5 to 0.9% of the, the fuel, of the uranium fuel. It's very inefficient. It's spectacularly inefficient. Uh, the great thing is it has uh, a chemical, or excuse me, the energy bond within a nuclear, nuclear um, reaction is one million times plus better than a carbon-hydrogen bond. So it's got ridiculous amounts of energy density. So even though it sucks. So what that means is it has ridiculous amounts of energy ridiculous. density. Yeah. So Thank when, you for the rest of us. Boom. Exactly. And so it sucks, but it's still way better than any of these other fossil fuels we have. And it's a non-carbon producing system. So now if we take that and we say, we're going to use thorium. So this is a liquid fuel that you're talking this, about. This, well, the 0. 0.5 to 0.9%, that's the old style uranium reactors we've been okay. running for eons. Those are solid Is that fuel. what we were getting out of it? Yeah. Like the profit of energy? No, was... not profit, but the, the use of the available fuels. Okay. And all the rest of that stuff is what they're trying to bury in Yucca Mountain. It's all these like That we're traveling leftovers. around on I-15 and across the country trying to find place, safe places to bury. Right, right. And, and we don't have anywhere to do it. We don't have anywhere to put this stuff because it's got extraordinary 10,000-year half-lives. It, it doesn't make sense to try to bury something for 10,000 years. So now, if how about— if you use a thorium fuel cycle, now you have— um, about a 300-year, like, cooling down period for the, for the reactor elements that come out of this. And not only that, you can burn up 100% of the thorium that you use for energy. And not only that, you can take the old stuff out of the old uranium reactors, you throw it in the liquid fuel and thorium reactors, and you burn that up. So all that nuclear waste we got sitting around that's supposed to go in Yucca Mountain, you make these thorium reactors, and you introduce that a little bit at a time along with the thorium. And it's like putting bad gas in a car. You put a little bit at a time, and it burns it up, and the regular gas makes it work, and it's fine. And now, so that would be the most efficient way that we could actually potentially get rid of our nuclear waste absolutely. is by actually reburning it with thorium nuclear energy, and making power out of it. Okay, what? What? This? There's, something's got to be wrong. What's the danger? What's scary? What's what could go wrong with this? That because why else wouldn't we be using it? There's there's two things that happened. One, we had a cold war, and we needed plutonium for for the nuclear weapons, and plutonium comes from uranium powered reactors. We get the plutonium for bombs, uh, P-238, I believe. doesn't matter. Uh, we get that for nuclear bombs out of these reactors. So we as America decided we're going to use these reactors for the next 20 years. And it did produce the plutonium we need to make the bombs to win the Cold War, whether you believe it or not. It doesn't matter. But the fact and is— And take Marty McFly to 2015. Correct. Yep, that's very important. Uh, was it 2015? 2015. So it already happened. Yeah, it did. Ah, that's cool. So— Nevertheless, liquid thorium has a slew of, a slew of advantages over any other type of nuclear power. Um, and there are, there are hundreds of ways, if not thousands of ways, to have nuclear power. People think it's just this one way. No, there's liquid fluoride thorium reactors. There's non-liquid non thorium reactors. There's all sorts of stuff. But the cool thing about liquid fluoride thorium reactors, lifters, 
is that it produces this stuff in a safe way. It has no chance of meltdown. It uses liquid melted fluoride salts as the coolant. Right now we use water. Water is a terrible idea. It's got a boiling. You have 100 degrees of Celsius of liquid form. Be below zero degrees Celsius, it's, it's, it's a solid. Above it, it's steam. You have fluoride, and it starts. It starts as a solid. we got to melt it to get this thing started up. And at 400 degrees Celsius, it starts, and it has 1,400 degrees of liquid range. It's never going to turn into steam. It's never going to melt down. Uh, it has, it, will it blow up? It will not blow up. It is there radioactive? What about the radioactivity? The radioactivity is contained within the within the vessel. It's radioactivity is not hard to stop. We you just, so does this need to be clear out in the desert where the solar panels are, or it like could be it, buried? But, so it's so it's so we don't have to worry about radiation radiation or anything like that. It could literally be in the city, in the center of town. And would it be very big though? No. The cool thing about the liquid thorium uh, thorium lifters is that you can have a very small footprint, maybe one or two football fields of the size. And that's it. That's the entire facility, the entire yard, facility, the loading docks, the whole deal. And a now, couple of football fields. And now, yeah, and now Smaller that replaces pretty much every solar panel you can see on the, fifth, on the drive down to the 15 from here to California would be obsolete by one thorium reactor. Gigawatts of power. On demand, rain or shine, wind or not, doesn't matter. You turn it on and you go. So surely it's got to be like super expensive to find the thorium, right? It's not. It's the issue. We one of the issues we have is that it's radioactive. So of course the government gets in there and says, "Well, it's radioactive. You guys can't really. We're going to put some regulations on it." It's so unradioactive. I mean, it's very minutely radioactive. But the half life on thorium is 14 billion years. It's the it's the length or the the current age of the universe. So everything that was created thorium wise in the in the Big Bang, which wasn't much, but let's just talk about the stuff that was created in the very early universe is now half-lifed once. That means half of it has now decayed into something else. It's and this ridiculously stable. And this stuff that's plentiful in plentiful. our dirt? Plentiful in our dirt. And it's even and so And so much, we're walking on it, right? We so are. And that's, nobody's getting sick from that, so nope. it's not that nope. kind of radioactive. Nope. It does, it's not that kind of radioactive at all. Wait, how plentiful is it? It's so plentiful that we can't figure out what to do with it right now. Because the regulations on heavy element mines in the, in the United States, which is why we don't have heavy element mines in the United States. we got to go to China for these other heavy elements because they don't care. They just throw thorium out the window. We said, oh, we're going to regulate it. And so now you've got you've to deal with the, the, the fallout, or not the fallout, the, um, the waste. They call it the waste right now. You've got to deal with this radioactive waste. You've got to pay people to do this thing. There's thorium sitting around right now in piles. This stuff is so ridiculously... And it doesn't have the radioactive waste. No, it does not have the radioactive waste. One other question I have is, this sounds fantastic in theory. How do we know any of it actually works? That's a good question. We actually figured this out in the 60s. In the 60s. In the 60s. In the 60s. Uh, There's a lot that goes to this story, but essentially um, our nuclear program was led by idiots. And Nixon was one of them. There's a phone call where he was recorded saying, uh, we're just going to go ahead and like ship off all the nuclear stuff to California because we're from California and we're good people. I mean, it's absolutely corrupt trash. But the idea is that we already have this technology. We, we designed it. We built it. In fact, the guy that designed the lifter technology was the guy that initially designed the uranium fuel cycle reactors. And he said, um, this thing's way better. Lifter's way better. We need to go lifter. And they're like, uh, mm, yeah, we don't care what you say. 
He's like, I'm the guy that invented it. I invented both of these. And they're like, mm, yeah, whatever. We think we know better than the guy we, who made oh, both. That's the government. Yep. Okay. But are there actually lifter plants in use? There, there are, and there's going to be a lot more, but not in America right now. China is going ham on lifter technology. Don't ham. we kind of want to keep up with China? We do want to keep up with China. We don't want China to be the one that the world goes to when they say, oh, let's go get some lifter technology. We want to be those people. We should be those people. We invented it. Why can't we? Well, energy is the big, big, big thing in the world right it now. It is a big thing. It is a big. Wouldn't it be great if we could find one that worked and not have to beg and steal it from other people? Yeah, exactly. And now let's talk about the paradigm shift that goes along with, with thorium, liquid-fueled thorium reactors. Now imagine, in, like we've dealt with this world where we've got to look at everything we do and we've got to try to think of energy efficiency. Turn the lights off when you leave. You know, Don't turn the AC on. All these things, you know, insulate this, insulate that. Imagine a world where you have thorium power that's almost too cheap to regulate, that you pay to maintain the grid, but energy doesn't matter. It's so cheap. So dads don't have to yell at their kids for leaving their bedroom lights on anymore? exactly. And you can do it, and you do it the entire time you do it. It's not just carbon neutral. One of the things that, that thorium can do is you can run the reactors way hotter than any other reactor. And once you get to this magic number of about 800 degrees Celsius, now you can sequester carbon from the atmosphere, and more importantly, from the ocean. Now, we can desalinate. We can have it. Let's, let's imagine this. You stick a thorium power plant somewhere on the coast of California. You run a big old pipe over to Nevada, over Lake Mead, right? And now you have this thorium energy plant turning out a desalinization. It's powering a desalinization. So taking ocean water and making it? Just pumping it right over to the Lake Mead, right? We fill up Lake Mead. But in the process, but we take the carbon. It, does that make it drinkable or Oh, potable? yeah, it's absolutely drinkable. Okay, it's so not like you, you're not using this as a coolant. I'm just talking about you but use you the power. But you could use the power to clean the water to make right. the ocean water usable for humans. Exactly. Okay, we're running low on time, so I want to kind of cool. do a little wrap-up. So what you're telling me is using thorium, we could have almost teeny-tiny thorium reactors in the middle of town because yeah. they would be so safe. They would be so little to no radiation at, or risk for meltdowns, uh, meltdowns that. that they literally could be in the middle of Las Vegas mm-hmm. and one of those the size of two two football fields would power the entire city of Las Vegas. Uh, yeah. And then some? Probably so. I have to look at the actual specs, but yeah. And the fuel that we need for this is readily literally available. readily available, plentiful in the dirt. Yep. Other countries are already using lifter technology to create this. Yep. Um once in effect it would be so cheap that it would be negligible to even have power meters. I'm still trying to figure out what the downside is. Oh, and we could take carbon out of the ozone and clean that and take ocean ocean out and, and out, but you said something earlier about taking carbon out of the sky and out of the the atmosphere as well. The atmosphere, but really as well as ocean ocean because we're, we're acidifying the ocean and we're losing, we're losing coral, we're losing species. So it's bad news. If we're talking about being carbon negative or carbon neutral, this has the potential to be incredibly exponentially carbon positive. Yes. And this could be a thing that if people actually were to pay attention and do something about, could be an idea that could change everything for our entire planet. Everything. It, there's. We have thirty seconds. <laughs> it could be the it could be the thorium age when we had the oil age, we had the industrial revolution. We could look back at this thing in 50, 100 years, and we could say that was the start of the thorium age when we had power that was plentiful, and, and we stopped worrying about climate change because and, we did the right thing. And I have always loved Thor. <laughs> right. Jesse, thank you for being with me today and sharing that. 
again, as always, we're not trying to tell any of you what to think, but we would love to say something that got you to think for yourself and maybe do something about it. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye.